Creativity is within us from birth, or is it? Some people, it comes out as paintings, drawings, sculptures, in others it's business strategies, lesson planning, or even driving cars. There isn't a person on this planet who doesn't have some sort of flair to their personality, which means creativity can prosper. The characteristic is in all of us, and in today's guest's head it allowed him to act on a whim and the resulting actions change his mindset and life for the better. The start of a pattern, I guess, like the whole of my sort of adult life, yeah, sort of hasn't been the most sort of straightforward or I've had the same job for the last 20 years or anything like that. I've, I've sort of got to try something else or do something different. But you know what? This is not for me. I absolutely hate it. I'm just, just not what I want to be doing. It's not how I envisaged it. It's much more difficult. Nothing wrong with that at all. Since I was like 12, it's like, okay, I just took a bit of a weird way of getting there, but then got to do it. During a degree, it really solidified in my mind that if you have the skills to design things, you can design anything. As humans, we're pretty rubbish at appreciating what we're good at. Certainly, I, you know, it's much easier to find validation from somebody else than it is from myself. You know, we look for external validation at all times, kind of thing. So, and I'm, I suppose, typical sort of creative person, very, very fragile. Like every bit of artwork or creative output we put out is a little bit of us in that, you know, ourselves. So it's, everything feels personal. Even if you're drawing something or creating something for somebody else, you've put a little bit of your heart and soul into that. Any sort of feedback, positive or negative does feel personal just explore your intuitions of doing things and, and never stop being inquisitive and questioning and you know what if and why can't i do that why if i do this and that kind of thing and i suppose essentially that comes down to not being afraid to fail just a quick one thank you for listening to the podcast i just ask if you haven't already please click follow or subscribe wherever you are listening it takes two seconds and it really helps the podcast reach new people. I would love if the episode today would help just one person discover something new or help them on their journey in their career. So thank you. Gaming, like most hobbies, can develop into your own career if you're willing to put the effort in. When I first found out about car racing and racing games, I was obsessed with online websites and games like Gran Turismo 3. I had so much fun learning racing lines and taking the perfect time to perfect each race. Nowadays, people are competing worldwide in head-to-head sim racing events. And that's where this month's sponsor, E-Team Hard, comes in. With the help of Lee and his team, we are giving away a sim racer starter pack, including merch to wear whilst gaming so you can look the part, with a 3D wrap t-shirt and sim socks, along with stickers to make your rig look the part. I can't believe I'm saying this, but you will be able to hear the sequential transmission with a headset from me to music. The giveaway starts November 7th and will run until the 30th of November, with the winner being announced on Friday the 2nd. So, just in time for Christmas to give yourself or your favourite sim racer their very own present. Full terms and conditions will be on the website and to enter, follow eTeamHard and us on Instagram, comment and win on our post and share it on your story. I look forward to seeing the winner and rocking the new merch and those headphones. I'm sure it will help you with your apexes. Good luck. Terry, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks very much. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, good good to yeah. chat. That's great to chat. And I think it's it's brilliant when you look at sort of how far people have come to the point where they are now. And it's something I'm starting to realise is it all started earlier on. So a question I'm liking to, just to sort of see, to figure out where you came from and how you started is, what did sort of school teach you in your early years? What were those that, the things that really sort of give you a foundation? 
I guess at school, so, you know, being artistic and creative, so obviously art and DT were kind of my main things that I loved. But on the same side of things, I also love things like PE as well, just being out and about and sort of, I guess, and I guess the sort of link between those two, and I'm not sporty really now, but the link was just sort of the creativity and the freedom. So even like a PE lesson, or just sort of being out and about and being able to move and do your own thing kind of thing, I think that kind of links in with that. So I think school taught me that as much as I was fairly academic and had an academic brain, sort of for getting sort of you know, GCSEs and A-levels, that sort of thing, it didn't ever really interest me doing that. It was always something creative that I wanted to do. And I think school in little glimmers gave me little bits of hope and that someday I could actually make some money out of actually uh, using my creativity. Um, it was, yeah, it's, it's a weird one in that, uh, yeah, I'd always been academic, but never really particularly interested in doing, following an academic kind of path. It was always something creative that I wanted to do. Um, my dad, um, he has always had a passion for cars and, and for drawing, but was more of a technical drawer. So he was a, a draftsman you know, years and years ago and, and sort of technical drawing kind of prospect. Um, so I think maybe I got a bit of that from him and I get the car thing from him, but the creativity side of things and sort of being artistic and free, I don't think really sort of follows through from family or anything like that. I think it was just that that's me kind of thing and I've always liked sort of getting my hands in being creative and, and school gladly allowed me to, to do that a bit, I think. Yeah, and I think it's a nice sort of continuum because you were, after school, you became a teacher, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> but, but but a long time after leaving school, to be honest. Um, so there was never a, a dream of being a teacher at all. Um, so, yeah, I left school, wanted to be a designer. Well, I left school, wanted to be a car designer. Mm. That was the dream. Um, and found out what I needed to do to get into university at the age of 12 to go on and, and go to Coventry University to go and do car design because they, that was you know, the best place to be sort of thing. Um, then discovered alcohol during my uh, six warm days and uh, the A-levels didn't go quite as brilliantly as they should have done. So I didn't get into Coventry on the first time of asking. Um, so, and then it was really weird how it happened. I kind of got a phone call from Coventry University the following year out of the blue on like what would be A-level results day sort of the year after I did my mine um, and they yeah the the head of the course and I think of the guy's name um, phoned me himself and said that he was surprised he had I hadn't reapplied because he expected me to reapply with you know better A-levels whatever and I kind of said that I just kind of assumed that I wasn't going to get in and uh, sort of fallen out of love with the whole school education thing and, and got myself a graphic design job uh, you, know, you know, real low-end junior design type thing um, and kind of given up on the car design dream and he was like, well, your portfolio was strong. You just needed the academic thing to back it up. Do you want to come and have a chat? And uh, yeah, it was really weird. Um, went and had a chat with him like, the following day and offered me a place on the course, which is, yeah, kind of completely out of out of the blue. And uh, yeah, and so this was then I had suddenly gone from full-time work to then being a student again within a couple of weeks kind of thing, handed my notice in at work and then I was then a student in the yeah, a month later kind of thing. So it was kind of weird how it happened. Um but I think that kind of the start of a pattern, I guess. Like the whole of my sort of adult life and I've 
yeah, sort of hasn't been the most sort of straightforward or I've had the same job for the last 20 years or anything like that. I've, I've sort of gone from different things and I suppose that's that comes from the sort of creative brain and always wanting to sort of try something else or do something different. Um, but the teaching thing kind of came, yeah, a few years after that. So I was working for um, Apple um, and I started off working for Apple as like a technician, just uh, I needed a, um, a job. I just uh, relocated to Ireland with my uh, with another half um, and they had their European headquarters over in, in Cork um, and uh, needed a job and I've been using the Mac for years sort of things. So I knew my way around them. So they're advertising, applied for a technician's job and, and sort of was there for a couple of years. But essentially they kind of worked out after a few months that I was actually pretty good at the sort of creative side of things. So the technical sort of things wasn't really my day-to-day job. It, I ended up making a lot of internal websites and sort of creative stuff that never sort of came out of Apple but was used internally for the next sort of couple of years. Um, no. Because of that, they got me sort of teaching small groups of like other employees, like five or six people at a time, of like how to use you know, Photoshop and basic sort of web skills and stuff like that. Um, and that kind of gave me the bug for teaching. Uh, absolutely loved it and hated it in equal measure, I guess. It was like, it was one of those real sort of marmite jobs of some bits about the job uh, were just absolutely amazing. And you just, you couldn't get that sort of the same buzz and satisfaction from anything else. And then there was so much other stuff, sort of behind the scenes stuff, the sort of, you know, red tape and bureaucracy, like typical teacher moaning type thing. Um, that all the stuff behind the scenes is still the stuff that makes you then not want to do the job. Um, but the actual teaching side of things and being in a classroom or well, workshop environment that I was in, um, absolutely loved. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely love it. Well, it's great. I think it's something that I realised when, when leaving school and, and sort of having lockdown to think about these sort of things. And I, I had an idea yeah. of wanting to be an engineer. And okay. yeah. I applied for various sort of apprenticeship, apprenticeship courses and whatnot. And it, yeah. and it kind of it gave me a real bug for sort of, I played with Lego early on. I did all that sort of stuff. So I had, I had I always had a creative, a creative past, but when it, when it came to school, I, I, I don't think I ever really fit in. It was, it was never a sort of, yeah. there was, there was never really a place for me. Um, I wasn't, I liked sport, but I didn't like the people I played sport with. Um, yeah. I'd like, I like drawing, I like all that sort of stuff, but there was no real place to go and do that. Or if there yeah. was, I was, I wasn't aware. Um, so it was just, as, as a teacher, Terry, and, and looking at all these students, what was it? When they came to you for advice, that what were the things, the sort of things, sort of things you were saying to them when they sort of came to, like, is university the right thing for me, or should I just yeah. go to full time work? What was the sort of advice you were giving to to students then? I think the the, the the most difficult thing with that is that there isn't one answer that suits everybody. Every, you know, mm-hmm. we're all different, and that's what's brilliant about a creative you know, career. Like, there's something out there for everybody that's got anything slightly creative about them because it's just difficult sometimes finding what that is and I think that was always my advice a lot of my sixth form students that had that were always the same so well do I go and try and get like a junior design job or do I go and do a design degree and then try and get a job and it really depends on the person uh, and there's no right or wrong answer necessarily it is whatever finds work for you but I said it's also one of those things that it's okay to get that answer wrong like yeah okay I'm you know like me, I went and did my degree a year later. I had a full-time job to then go and do my degree. Sometimes that was the best thing that could have happened for that person. Other than, you know, the other way around. 
there's nothing wrong with going to university and going, you know what, this is not for me. I absolutely hate it. I just, just not what I want to be doing. It's not how I envisaged it. It's much more difficult. Nothing wrong with that at all. But, you know, I was always sort of saying that the worst thing you can do is not to try. You've got to find out by giving it a go, giving the university a go or giving the job a go and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I think that's really it. About, I think, and I don't think that's necessarily particular to the creative industry. I think that's sort of in general life. You just got to try these things and, and don't be afraid to fail because often the best things come from the failing. Exactly, yeah. And it's, it's like just the fear of trying is almost the, the fear that stops us from doing anything. And you can always get completely dilapidated by it. Very, very much so, yeah. And I, I you, know, you know, I'm nearly 40 now, um, and I still get that same thing out. There's still loads of stuff that, you know, I think, oh, should I do this? Should I not do that? And then every now and again, I give myself a kick up the backside and say, do you know what? Just just try and just see what, see what happens, kind of thing. And you kind of got to trust in the system that eventually it, something will stick and that's the that's the right path yeah and you, so you mentioned your, your dad earlier and him, him yeah. almost i don't want to put the words into your own mouth but igniting your passion for cars is a question i like to ask as a sort of to understand where your passion for cars started from and where it stemmed from but was it always him or was it other influences that you picked up as a kid along the way yeah i think him more from the sort of diy kind of thing um we you know we, we we didn't have loads of money growing up or anything like that, so we never had fancy cars. My dad was always in a job that had some sort of company car, um, but we always had then a family car as well that that would inevitably, you know, need fixing regularly or you know a lot of maintenance and stuff. So um, I think childhood memories for me is like weekends spent with dad out in the garage, you know, fixing, maintaining old metros, yeah. minis, Sierras, that kind of thing. Um, but motorsport in particular, I think, was a thing. Um, we I grew up about an hour, probably less than an hour away from Silverstone. Um, so uh, as a as a youngster, it was a sort of fairly easy and I guess fairly cheap day out for, for dad to take us yeah. and the kids. You know, me and my sisters out, we'd go you know, and mum and well, we'd go as a family. Relatively cheap sort of day out to go to Silverstone and watch whatever happened to be racing that weekend. Um, so it wasn't a particular thing, you know. I got into Formula One and, and, and touring cars, particularly in the 90s growing up. Like, touring, British Touring Car Championship was was brilliant. Um, but I think that, that probably helped the motorsport side of things. Yeah. And I think because it was so local-ish and it wasn't the great big, you know, glamour that F1 is these days, it was, uh, it was much more sort of grassroots. You could go and walk around the pits and that sort of thing. And I think that, sort of tied in with then going home and working on things in the garage and, yeah. and that kind of thing so i think it's the sort of the diy sort of part of motorsport and cars in general that i think really sort of clicked with me yeah it's clear that the sort of creative part of you this the part that's good with your hands and, and has, a, has an eye of things visually has, has taken that to stimuli because yeah. because when you're watching motorsport there's noise there's action it's it's, it's, a, it's doing a lot for the brain in terms of what's going on it is yeah yeah, and even just things like the smells and stuff as well, like the, you know, just the, the the sound and the smell of uh, you know racing cars and, and the you know, the high octane fuel and the tires and all the rest of it, those sort of things. So they're just, I don't know, they're quite they're quite pungent, I suppose, quite pungent sort of strong smells that just yeah sort of invoke like now I can like sit here picturing sort of you know tire smoke and things like that now. It's, it's, yeah, it's quite evocative, I guess. Yeah, you can almost hear you can almost hear that V eight V twelve in the background sort of as it goes past. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Terry, when when it came to sort of you looking at 
the creative side of your life and looking at cars but was there ever a point where you wanted to go and make that a career yeah i think so my degree was in car design like i said and and i think when i finished university i kind of i'd sort of had enough of cars i'd had the four-year intense degree you know degree of literally living breathing sleeping cars and i kind of got to the end of my fourth year like mm, i'm really not sure i want to be a car designer anymore i've kind of done my thing with cars and i think i'd then probably stopped at that point having interest sort of as a hobby in cars and stuff mm. it was more like i've i had my own car and and it was kind of like yeah i needed to fix it and it got fixed and that was it but it was never really then at that point the sort of passion the cars thing again so i think that sort of dulled it down a bit um so then probably through teaching design technology and things like that, more hands-on, but then sort of eventually reignited my passion in cars. And I think it was probably, probably sort of looking at how I could apply my sort of creativity to sort of other things outside the classroom and stuff. Mm. And then it was kind of, well, what do I do with my sort of creativeness? It was like, mm, what what am I interested in? And, you know, interested in football, you know, I, I you know, big football fan and go and go and watch a lot of sport if I can. Um and and cars and the motor racing still always had that interest in the motor racing side of things. So I decided that well I should start doing something focused towards one of those two. Mm. Um and and yeah, sort of cars won out really. Um and I think probably because of just the ease of access to them. But they're, and there's something that whether you've got a passion for them or not, everybody's got a story. Yeah. And a sort of an emotional attachment to sort of memories and, and nostalgia to do with cars. You know, they're an everyday thing that, you know, majority of people have very little interest in, but the people who do have an interest in them have a real passionate interest in them. So I think it was kind of the sort of the storytelling side of things that maybe sort of captured my imagination about the sort of the, the potentially mundane everyday things of a, of a car, you know, thing with four wheels that we use to get to and from work or whatever, and, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, so when you got to the end of your degree and you decided that maybe the, the whole got a bit of sick and tired of cars, I mean, was was that like yeah. a, was there a, was there a sort of crisis there? I mean, how did you how did you cope with that mentally in terms of dealing? Like, I've I've just done a four year design course, and now, yeah. and now it's not adding up. Yeah, I mean, what was that like? It's like wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, it it was very much like that because because you know, like I said, I've been wanting to do it since I was like twelve. It's like okay, I took a bit of a weird way of getting there, but then got to do the degree and spent all that time living and breathing cars and it's kind of thought I'm really sick of this now and then like oh what do I do but it was I think during a degree it really solidified in my mind that if you have the skills to design things you can design anything Mm. so it it was very much that yes my degree is in car design but I'm a designer I'm not a car designer I'm a designer and I was quite happy that if you if I had the sort of knowledge or understanding of a particular product or problem that I could use my design skills to potentially design whatever that may be so i think initially it was a real sort of shock as like, wait a minute i've you know spent you know the last however many years wanting and dreaming of doing this and yeah. wanting to be a car designer and then all of a sudden going well actually i'm not really sure i do but i think i yeah i quite quickly realized that actually if you've got that sort of foundation and skill in the first place then i think you'll be all right and can turn it to a lot of other things yeah, and also I think it's it's also scary to sort of scary. It can be damaging to label yourself as one thing because you then attach an identity yeah. to that thing. 
exactly and i think uh, i think that also leads towards failure as well because if you hang your your all these hopes and dreams on one particular thing and that doesn't happen you know yeah. i think on my course i think there was something like 60 60 of us in our year group sort of thing and i think probably at the end of it initially i think probably about 15 to 20 of us got car jobs oh, wow. sort of like yeah. within the sort of six to 12 months afterwards and a few more went into the industry after that but that i know of now i think there's only three or four of us that graduated with me that are still in the car industry i mean we're talking this was 2006 i graduated so 15 16 years ago now mm. but um that's not that long in terms of a, a career time you know a lot of people are in a career for you know the rest of their lives kind of thing so um but everybody that i'm still in touch with that was there we're all still doing some sort of creative slash design related uh, job in one way shape or another sort of thing so i think it kind of does prove that yeah if you've got those skills that it, it put you, you know you can put your mind to anything kind of thing yeah, I think speaking of putting your mind to everything and and the skills that you have for being sort of all based visually and illustrator. I mean, especially on. I mean, that's what I know you as as, as illustrator maker. So, yeah. when did that come about, and when did drawing cars start to be a thing that you did more and more? <laughs> it kind of and it, 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 like everything I've said so far is like it kind of happened by accident. Um, <laughs> like a lot of things have sort of happened over the way. Um, so I was still teaching up until. A couple of years ago um and during lockdown i was teaching remotely so teaching from home and yeah. set up like a little sort of studio in my home to sort of do um i was doing like live drawing lessons uh, for my students and that kind of thing so various cameras set up with you know and sketchbooks and that kind of thing set up um and i was really enjoying that much more than i thought i was going to to be honest because i like the sort of you know the human interaction of being in the classroom but then suddenly being able to record stuff and that kind of thing apart from hearing my cringy voice um over which is really horrible to listen to you get used to that. um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i never quite did i don't know how many videos i recorded of it but i was still kind of like oh do i really sound like that um but all this things like yeah that sounds exactly like you so like, oh, okay fair enough i obviously sound horrible in the classroom environment as well but uh, kind of yeah from the technology point of view i kind of the sort of geeky part of me enjoyed the sort of technical challenges of setting up like my slr and my iphone to record different angles of the same thing and all that kind of stuff so i kind of enjoyed that um and then it was kind of like i was looking for i guess another challenge that wasn't necessarily directly related to the teaching kind of thing signed up to do a master's in um illustration okay those kind of things that sort of have been dabbling in the actual illustration side of things for a while whilst I've been teaching. Um, and so, yeah, I started doing a, an, an online um, master's in illustration. And then it's like, I'd had my iPad for sort of sitting there thinking this is a very expensive paperweight, you know, in me using. So it was kind of like, right, let's, let's spend some time actually trying to use it. Um, and so I started playing around with Procreate. I looked online to see what, what software people were yeah. using. And um, Procreate seemed to be the sort of, you know, the, the common denominator here of all the sort of arty kind of people. Um, so I had a play with it, uh, hated it at first and wanted to throw my iPad out the window, just couldn't get on with it at all. Just, just didn't, it didn't feel natural at all. Something sort of clicked that I'd had an assignment for my, for my uh, master's. I might have been a, it was a self-portrait. It was a self-portrait sort of thing. A very sort of simple, like beginning things like explore self-portrait. And I was like, right. 
I'm not going to allow myself to submit this without it being made on my iPad. Okay, well, kind of like, yeah. I've got to use this, so let's use it. And if it's not up to scratch, then it's not up to scratch, but we can deal with that and learn through the process. So, yeah, I just started exploring more with the iPad and, and playing with textures and things. Um, so that was that was kind of how the iPad thing started. And then I'm trying to think the timeline of this. It must be a few months later. It was my dad's birthday. Um, and we've been watching Top Gear and messaging each other from our houses, whatever about Top Gear is there. Uh, and Chris Harris was driving uh, an Alphaholics uh, GTA. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome, awesome machine. My dad's always been into Alphas, and yeah, and, and that sort of rubbed off on me as well. And we're both messaging, going, that thing is just incredible. And it was my dad's birthday in May, and I was like, right, I'm going to draw the Alphaholics. Um, julia gta or something yep. a julia gta or some some description as a sort of I'll, and i'll give it to him as a gift to see if i can actually do a sort of half decent job um and uh so that was the first thing i drew was the the front end of this sort of gta um and i found a couple of images online not of the alcoholics one but of someone i have a feeling it was somewhere over in in sweden or somewhere like that that painted it red and blue and I thought, oh, that, that colour scheme looks awesome. So it's like, well, I'll, I'll kind of base mine on that kind of thing. Um, put it up on Twitter, just my personal account or whatever, and just sort of said, oh, hey guys, just just watching Top Gear. What does people what do people think of this? You know, I was inspired by the GTA. Just get any feedback or whatever. And uh, and Chris Harris uh, saw it and retweeted it, um, which was nuts. Like. You know, my, my Twitter following was probably like 100 people or something stupid like that at the time. Suddenly, my phone was going nuts and people retweeting it and commenting on it and stuff like that. And I was like, what's happening? Um, and yeah, it was it was mad. So I, you know, Illustrator Maker didn't exist. There was no plan to start doing car portraits or anything like that. That tweet kind of, people asked me if they could buy a copy of it and all these kind of things, which was just, yeah, blew my mind. I was like, that's not really how I intended it at all so it kind of went from there so I said that I, you know sent some prints out I think within the first week I sent prints to Australia Singapore wow, America yeah. and I was yeah I was like wow this is just absolutely blew my mind um you know my little iPad drawing it wasn't anything special I look back at it now this is you know what two years ago now when I first did that and it looks rubbish <laughs> compared to my stuff more recently in terms of the details and things but I don't know, it obviously just captured the spirit of, of something at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and for me, it, it sort of just made me think that actually it was really fun for me to sort of try and explore yeah. and, you know, and play with the sort of the medium of the iPad and, and what it could do and what I could do with it. And then, yeah, just led me to try and explore that a bit further. So I just sort of then did sort of, I don't know, one every couple of weeks sort of in between my other assignments and my schoolwork and things like that, I, you know, half an hour a day over a you know, period of a couple of weeks or whatever and then just kept adding to the drawings and putting them up and yeah people asking if they could have copies of them that sort of thing and I think a few months later I decided that I'll you know create myself a logo and a little sort of like online presence and seeing if people want to do it and yeah and here I am you know what about 18 months two years into this sort of thing now so well it still seems crazy to me that people want to buy my drawings in the first place I mean, what do you mean by crazy, Terry? Because, I mean, the, the drawings, I think, are, are great. They're, they're realistic, the, the, the depth of colour. 
uh, and the line works it's incredible so I mean by crazy what do you mean by that just I don't know I, I guess it comes down to this, this sort of self-confidence and that kind of thing it's just uh, I think I don't know as humans we're pretty rubbish at appreciating what we're good at um, and always well certainly I you know it's much easier to find validation from somebody else than it is from myself you know we look for external validation at all times kind of thing so and I'm I suppose typical sort of creative person, very, very fragile like that, in that, you know, if someone else says more stuff's good, it's like, oh, really? Oh, okay, thanks. Like, regardless of what I actually think of it or whatever, having someone else appreciate something that you've done is really fulfilling. Um, and little bits of feedback from, from anybody that likes something you do is, yeah, it's great. And it, I think that that's the sort of the big thing. But it still honestly blows my mind that people think that something that I've done at all um is good enough to hang on somebody's wall whatever or to be given as a gift and stuff it's yeah it's still pretty humbling that we you know I get sent pictures from people who've once they've framed their work or hung it on the wall and stuff and like, oh i did that that's that's pretty cool so yeah it's i don't know i i hope that never never stops like feeling like that because that's kind of why you do it or why i do it um it's i enjoy i enjoy the process of it and i enjoy the, the the conversations I have with people and things like that, but yeah, the satisfaction that someone's someone's put a piece of work that I've done on their wall is really really cool. I had a um, sorry, yeah, I had a I was at Bista Heritage a little while ago. It was probably probably about a month ago now. One of their the scrambles, the Sunday scrambles, um, and I had this lad, and he must have been I don't know, eleven, twelve, something like that, and he he wanted to buy, I think it was my print of a Mark one Golf GTI, you know, something that was around you know, 30 years before he was born. You know, yeah, old thing, something that he wouldn't necessarily know loads about or whatever. Um, and, he, and he said to me that he, he was buying it with his pocket money that he'd saved because he wanted to put it on his wall. Like, that's just nuts that someone will want, you know, someone so young wants to spend some money, you know, a bit of pocket money, whatever, on a you know piece of artwork to go on a wall. Which I know that that's what, that's what everyone does you put stuff on your board that you like and that kind of thing but it's one of those things that just yeah it still seems mad to me that people want to put something of mine on their wall that's amazing because it it, it might have taken sort of i don't know how long these things take you a couple of hours couple of days to to perfect but it's it's not just that it's it's the years of experience you've had behind those yeah i guess so yeah and i think maybe maybe i'd be more um Maybe even more understanding of that if I'd have spent my entire life as an illustrator or doing those sort of things. Maybe I'd be like, oh yeah, I've got you know 20 years experience doing this thing. Um, but doing what I do, I've only been doing it a little while. Um, but I guess you're right. It does, yeah, it does come from all those years of experience of doing all the other things to help them sort of put that across in a piece of artwork. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something just to, if anything, just to, to be more confident in the skills you have, and to, 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 it's nice to always to have the validation from other people. And it's it's yeah. it's it's great even even having the podcast and people saying oh I listened to that episode and it was great and that that's enough for me to to carry on and to keep doing it anyway yeah exactly and it is those little things isn't it those little comments saying oh yeah I really enjoyed that episode or whatever it, it like those things must you know make you know make you buzz kind of thing because that's that's yeah like you said it's validation that makes you want to do it even more yeah but it's, it's, it's this is born out of a really self self interest self absorbed and just to go I want to speak to more people that do this and that because. I'm just generally yeah. curious as a person so to be able to speak to you yourself 
who who's doing these illustrations who because I, I mean i wish i could draw to the level that you can draw i wish i, I personally i mean i know it's a skill you can train but it like, takes years but it, yeah like I say, it's, it's just a, it's just a thing that you look at in life and go these people have spent years perfecting why why, why shouldn't yeah. it be praised by the people why shouldn't it be be loved yeah definitely i think and i think there's a lot of not just creative things but i think there's a lot of things out there that that do that as well there's a lot of people that you know that you know that people that inspire other people without realizing that they're the inspiration and the reason why people do things and that sort of thing i think a lot of that probably goes under the radar and, and people don't realize that they've inspired some other people to, to forge their own career even if it's not the same as yours but decided to actually go oh this person did that that's pretty cool i'm going to go and try and do my own thing and i think yeah i think there's there's a lot of people out there that are inspirational and they just don't realize it yeah, I mean, I mean, so, I mean, personally, where do you take inspiration from? Thank you for listening so far. And before we get back to hearing more from our guests, a huge thank you to those who support the podcast by listening and sharing it among friends and enthusiasts alike. Suppose you could help by becoming a patron. By becoming a patron, you can access live events and video podcasts. These podcasts will always be and continue to be free forever. But like anyone doing something out of passion. I want to improve. Better guests, audio and book production. If you're willing to give a small monthly amount and invest in my mission to inspire, inform and entertain by getting better equipment and giving me more time to invest back into the podcast, I would be forever grateful for anything you can provide. If you're currently on your journey to explore your passion for cars and need help introducing yourself to people in the industry, patrons will also be having a one-to-one with me to help advise and see if the network I have built during this podcast can help you achieve your goals i will leave further information in the show notes below mm-hmm. all sorts of places really i think there's a there's a real big thing of sort of like uh, fellow sort of artists or creative people um so i think quite lucky that in amongst the sort of automotive artist world um there's there's quite a lot of us out there that do the you know, automotive based art yeah but i think so far um they've been really welcoming and I think that that for me has been massive as sort of almost a community of artists and the, and the car community itself has generally been pretty welcoming as well um so there's there's a lot of that um and I've I'm yet to come across another sort of artist that then has sort of been a bit sort of nearly it's like oh you do work similar to mine and there haven't been any of that at all there's there's you know there's definitely been an attitude of look there's room for all of us and more and we're all just happy to be doing something that we enjoy doing um so i guess yeah people like people like um adam gompertz and you know the rev um he was one of the first people who i think he actually was one of the first people who tweeted or replied to that tweet the, the the um Chris Harris tweet those time ago, um, and he's been he's been really good, um, like in just encouraging me and saying that's really good work, well done, keep it up, kind of thing. Um, uh, so there's people like that, and Johnny Ambrose, again, you know, automotive artists that are just doing some incredible work, but just the most genuinely lovely, down to earth people that you can just you know it doesn't have to be art related or even car related chat, just actually just nice people to chat to um so that's the sort of from the sort of arty kind of thing or car art i guess um um but i don't know it's like i said i like the storytelling side of cars i like the sort of the everydayness of that and i like that so i get i suppose the inspiration from just 
chatting to people. So I like doing live events. Mm. So, so I go around and you know take my iPad with me to various different events. So rather than sitting there just trying to sell prints and things like that, I'll, I'll sit there doing my artwork. Uh, and it and it came about quite quickly when I did my first event. I did my first event was the British Motor Show last year. That was my first event as illustrator maker, and I rocked up with a table and my iPad and a great big TV that had been gathering dust in the in the loft and to put it up just so people could see what I was doing. And it, I just found it just helped because I'm not very good at speaking to people, especially sort of strangers, sort of things. Just sort of standing there and making conversation. I'm not that sort of confident person but I found that if I'm sitting there concentrating on drawing I could actually have a conversation with someone whilst drawing quite easily because it kind of just broke that barrier down um which and, and the amount of really interesting conversations I had very quickly whilst just drawing away doing my thing I think that's that's been one of the most inspiring things the stories that people come up with and and whether it's nostalgia stories from one their childhood or their grandparents or parents or their friends there's just so many stories that come out of the woodwork that relate to sort of cars that aren't necessarily the car's not the focus of the story but it's involved in in some way um you know road trips memories and holidays and all these sort of things and i think i find those so inspiring i think when i first started doing my um my masters i think i had the sort of vision that i wanted to end up after doing my master's in illustration in, in either sort of illustrating children's books or doing like editorial illustrations for magazines and that kind of thing. They were sort of where I was headed. But I think the sort of storytelling side of things with the editorial is sort of, I don't know, I think sort of ties in with all the stories and that, that I've heard from people as I've been doing this. So I think maybe my art will evolve into more being rather than sort of um, portraits, if you like, of actual yeah. individual vehicles that eventually become more sort of storytelling things, and maybe they involve some more than just the car itself, and maybe the end that depicting bits of a story. So there's certain sort of things in that story, or other objects that are in the picture with the car that then tell the story that mean nothing to 99% of people out there, but the people that the, the image is for, you know, that those few sort of key items yeah. you know, tell tell a story sort of thing. So I think. That that sort of inspiration is maybe where that my sort of yeah my art may sort of go to at some point. Yeah, it makes sense because each I mean each car has its own story. It was developed at a certain point in time. It had this person, you know, like for instance, if you look at the VW yeah. Beetle, it was developed yeah. at a time where the world was recovering. It was it was used as a beacon of hope, yeah. but it turned out to be a massive scam. In, the, in its conception, it's yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. like you say, cars themselves, the ability to to tell their own stories through, especially through art, and just to, to frame that in in your interpretation, it's, it's it's amazing. But when did you decide to to take the love of storytelling and the creative side and make it your full time thing, if it is your full time thing? And what was the process like? Yeah, the process was a bit of a um, I don't know. It was an interesting one. So I decided that. Um, I was enjoying doing it and was going to stop doing the teaching thing um, sort of fairly early on doing the drawings and it was kind of like well I'll stop doing the teaching and I'll just do some supply teaching just to keep the money rolling in kind of thing um, but me being me decided to just hammer notice in and not bother applying for a new supply job or anything like that so kind of went cold turkey on it um, and it was doing okay so I did the first few months of it where I was doing it full time um, 
and I was really enjoying it and I was busy enough. And then I probably had a period of like one or two months where all of a sudden virtually no sales were coming in or anything like that. The prints had sort of stopped selling and um, it wasn't coming up to any big occasion like Christmas or anything like that. So people had stopped, you know, you know the commission's not coming in and the sort of reality hit of, well, yes, yeah, it's all nice being this uh, sort of creative arty type, but doesn't pay the bills straight away kind of thing. So, um, so I then just started sort of looking out for sort of freelance work and did a bit of teaching and found that I was doing some like tutoring work, which then could fit around doing um, doing the creative side of things. So that kind of helped balance it, and I think sort of refocus my mind a bit more on not just living this arty farty dream of just you know being able to just get up in the morning and do drawing all day, and then magically that will pay the bills, and and probably concentrating a bit more and putting together some sort of idea of what I needed to earn and and what I needed to you know how much output I needed to make to make living and that kind of thing and um, so yeah now i am um, i'd say i'm probably three to four days a week doing my art stuff um and that sort of fluctuates around doing school work and stuff like that um so yeah i'm picking up still got tutoring and that sort of kind of ad hoc stuff um it's getting busy now as we're getting sort of towards the end of the year towards christmas time people are starting sort of planning on presents and that sort of thing but it is also, you know, everything's gone up in price, you know, by a crazy amounts the last sort of month or so. So people, you know, need to cut down on what they're spending on, you know, things that they don't need. And they no one needs my artwork on their wall. You know, it's a very much, you know, it's a nice to have for people, but it's not an essential. So I don't know at the moment, things are looking all right for me in, in, in terms of the amount of, the sort of repeat business going through and I think um, more and more people are seeing my work and, and asking about doing similar stuff and work but different stuff as well and doing more sort of like freelance design work as well is coming in um, so that's kind of yeah I suppose I guess the same sort of challenge for any sort of freelance worker is that getting enough money in doing the thing you like to do um, and banks and then making sure it actually pays the bills and things like that well, I mean, you say no one needs your artwork, but I mean, that eleven-year-old that wanted <laughs> that wanted a GTI. I mean, yeah, if, he, if he's scraping, yeah. if he's scraping pennies to 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 be able to afford the artwork, I mean, he definitely feels like he needs it. So I wouldn't say I wouldn't yeah. say that about yourself. Yeah. No, but it, but it isn't, is there? It, you know, we need to put food on our tables and roof over our head and that sort of thing. You know, real sort of priorities. Um, and yeah, it's it's good that people like artwork or whatever their hobby is and stuff and they're they're really important but they're always obviously the first thing that goes when you've got lack of money coming in or when you get more expenditure coming out you have to cut out things that the nice things like that so um yeah i think i'm still in a very much position that i'm very grateful that people still want to spend their hard-earned money on, on something that i've spent my time doing you know it doesn't cost me you know you know in money terms to what I do or not a lot so I think it's it's the time that goes into it and, and I guess all those years of experience like you said that go into making me be able to do that in the you know, period of time but when I first started doing like the alpha drawing I think that took me probably like 20 hours or something silly like that to draw it um, and yeah like I said earlier the, the looking detail involved in stuff like that it's, it's you know, it's nothing compared to how detailed my more recent work is and, and my most recent works like are probably eleven or twelve hours into the sort of commission piece of artwork that 
contained probably twice the amount of detail that the alpha did back then. And I guess that's what you're, you know, that's, that's a sort of classic example of you're paying for that experience and that sort of, and all the other stuff that goes on behind the scenes rather than just you're paying for that picture at the end of it kind of thing. Yeah, it's so like more behind the scenes. Yeah, you're not, you're not paying for a, a plumber to fix a pipe, you're paying, you're paying from just you know where to fix the pipe. Exactly. And his expertise to walk in and go, actually, I know how to fix that in five minutes. Whereas you might have had a go at DIY doing and then taking you hours to do it. So I think you're paying him for that expertise to instinctively know what to do. And that's it rather than, well, oh, I paid him 50 quid call out fee and he only took five minutes to do it. But, you know. It took him, it took him the five minutes to, to know where to look over 50 years of his whole life. So Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so, so what are your what are your goals for for this? Do you have a sort of a a is there a sort of is there a place you want to take the drawings and the commissions to? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I guess there is in terms of the sort of wishy washy that I just want to carry on enjoying doing it type of thing, um, and I, I I want to sort of just be honest and open with it enough that if I start to begrudge doing it or it becomes a chore rather than enjoying doing it, then I'll just stop doing it and do something else kind of thing. It's, it, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't like my lifelong dream to draw cars for a living or anything like that. It's something that sort of just came quite organically. And I'm quite happy that if that organically doesn't lead anywhere or sort of, you know, naturally, you know, meanders off somewhere else, I'll sort of follow that. Um, and that's kind of a wishy-washy and rubbish answer to that. There isn't sort of, but there isn't like an end goal that I'll, you know, in ten years' time I want to be exhibiting X, Y, and Z or anything like that. It's, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunities that it's kind of given me so far. And yeah, but I haven't said that actually. I'm just now out thinking out loud. Goodwood. I'd like to have something at Goodwood or to be at Goodwood rather than as, as a. Um, just go in there to experience it but i'd like to go to goodwood as an exhibitor if you like or to have my art yeah. there at some point um and i think just because i see it as a you know great big event and, and i uh, went actually went to goodwood for the first time this year like it's one of those things that everybody goes to and there's been loads of people have been so many times and it's one of those things that i've you know watched on the tv and stuff years and years and years and never actually got to it so this year i finally went and then kind of went there and i was like right one day I will, you know, put together the money to sort of justify the expense on going there as an exhibitor. It's a massive event and it's an expensive event to be at. You know, and just little old me, freelance artist or whatever, you know, it cost me a lot of money to be there. So I think that would be one thing I'd like to be there, you know, paid for by myself, you know, yeah. and, you know, justify that sort of my artwork. Um, yeah, I think that that would be it. Or maybe if I've done a piece of artwork of a particular particular car or person or something like that so you know, like a racing driver or something like that I think that the, the pinnacle then would be for that particular racing driver to own that piece of artwork or to have that piece of artwork with them sort of thing just to sort of you know again it's probably for that sort of selfish validation kind of reason I guess that you just want to be validated by the person that you're drawing or the, the drawing it for I guess that sort of thing yeah I mean there's also a sense of imposter syndrome isn't there if you look at it sort of I mean I the only reason I mentioned this is I went to go up to good revival earlier this year and yeah. I went into the press office and told them I had a podcast and I, I, I don't know how or why <laughs> they gave me a press pass because this little podcast is, is quite small compared to the big ones. But I went in there just with this wave of just embarrassment, but thinking that I can go <laughs> up and ask these people 
to give me a free a- free access to the to the pits and the paddock. Yeah, and they did though. They they did get me one, and I created a really small podcast episode that I was shaking, holding <laughs> this little microphone, going around to these <laughs> racing drivers. And it was it was awful. And if I had to do it again, I would have planned <laughs> that out. But it was this spur of the moment thing. And my dad, who was with me at the moment at the time, he just went, "Go do it. Just just go ask. Because what's the worst that can yeah. happen?" So like you say, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's I think that, that's brilliant for you for doing that. Like, yeah, because I'm I'm the sort of person. Go, oh, I, I should do something like that. I would never just sort of do it. And I'd be the person telling you to go. Go on, do it. It's a great idea. You should go, definitely go and try that. Um. So well done for you for doing it. And yeah, and um, yeah, it wasn't as big and horrible and scary as you thought it was. I guess no, it was, but <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. It was awful. No, no, I mean, like I said, but it, it's like you say, why, why shouldn't you have artwork at Goodwood, and why shouldn't you be able to exhibit yeah. at now? So I think that's just, just the point of what I'm trying to get at is is that as creatives, I think we have a sort of self image that we don't want to ruin by by someone telling us no or. Okay, it goes back to what you said yeah. about the self-validation. I think it's people's opinion of your art, whether it be a podcast or whether it be an illustration, is so important. Yeah, yeah, it is, and I think the sort of you know the classic sort of cliche that every bit of artwork or creative output we put out is a little bit of us in that you know mm-hmm. ourselves. So it's, everything feels personal, even if you're drawing something or creating something for somebody else, you've put a little bit of your heart and soul into that. So any sort of feedback, positive or negative does feel personal because there's a bit of you in that yeah no exactly and terry i've loved this so far and i don't want it to end but there are some few questions that i i sort of asked towards the end of the podcast <laughs> yeah. and the top one being it's your, your quintessential car question what is your three car carriage oh i get to three three is generous okay <laughs> um <laughs> i i, I reckon this is one of those questions you ask people and they change their mind every time you ask them sort of thing um, my, my default answer, if like if I could only have if I had to have one car, let's go with this to start with, it'd be an RS six. Okay, yeah, I see. Because yes, it's a hell of a lot of money, and I can't imagine ever spending that sort of money on a car. But it does everything pretty much brilliantly. It you know I've you know I've got a dog and I've got kids, so that I can throw them in the back. Maybe the dog gets to sit up front and the kids go in the boot or something, but. They, you know, it, it's big enough to throw everything in. I can go do a tip run in the morning and I could be driving around Donington Park in the afternoon and it would quite happily do both those things without even batting an eyelid. So I think an RS6 has to be in there because if magically my three-car garage caught on fire, I'd rescue the RS6 first. It'd still do everything I ever wanted it to do. That's a great question um, to ask the future. I will know that. <laughs> <laughs> If we catch on fire, which one are you saving? Yeah, so I think the RS6 just just because it yeah it's it does everything that I could ever possibly need. Not that I've ever driven one, but I can you know from everything that everyone says yeah. about them. They you know they look good for such a big car. Um, they sound ridiculous. They sound almost like a Spitfire in terms of their sort of rawness, the, the engine sound of them, and and they yeah I can throw everything and do the school run, do a tip run, and do a track day in the same day if I had to. So that's. Yeah, that's the sort of, I wouldn't say sensible choice, but Petrolhead's sensible choice, I guess. <laughs> I'd have I'd have a Mark 1 Mini Cooper S. Great choice. Because, yeah. <laughs> again, it's, it's a classic. Uh, my first car was a Mini um, that me and my dad spent a 
about 18 months stripping down to bare metal and, and building back up again um so i've got a massive soft spot for minis um and i i would love an actual mark one um just yeah just because they're just brilliant mm. um so yeah a, a, a classic cooper s i think um just yeah just and probably i don't know what i tinker with it and do stuff to it because that's part of the fun of having the car that or would you know i get frowned upon by everyone else with molesting such a i'd electric i'd electric convert it i just have to yeah, I think they've. Yeah, like they they they're ripe for an electric conversion. Yeah, yeah. like the couple that I've seen are just just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I'd have that for just sort of like nostalgia reasons, but also sort of classic. Just throw it around the country lanes and just have so much fun with it. Um, and I'll get another choice again. I'd probably go Porsche nine five nine. Yeah, no, fair enough. Because. I think that was probably the first poster car I had growing up was a silver 959. Um, and it was kind of, at the time, it was like that or a Testarossa was kind of, or the Outlaw, um, were kind of like the, the big poster cars at the time. Um, so I think probably a 959 um, would probably complete the, complete the three-car garage, or three random cars. There. But yeah. Nefer, I'd certainly be happy if I ever got to drive any of those to be perfectly honest but yeah so you're going to have the next question because the next question is you have one car to drive on any road okay. or track where would you go and what would you take the Mini definitely the Mini because it's one of those cars that just on full chat screaming away it's probably still only doing 60 miles an hour possibly 70 if you've got a nice straight road but it feels like you're doing a million miles an hour because it's just so raw. And I think probably some sort of Alpine path, some you know, swift mountain road or something like that, sort of classic, just sort of where something like the Mini comes into its own because there's just, the scenery is beautiful and you want to be able to take it all in and you're not in some hypercar or supercar that's doing a million miles an hour. You're in something that is going to hit probably 40, 50 because you're doing twisty stuff. And you get to appreciate the scenery. You get to hear everything in the mini and feel absolutely everything. So I think, yeah, I'd probably do that. Or maybe go and recreate recreate the uh, sort of Italian job scenes or something like that. Sort of, you know, twisty mountain scenes out of the Italian job or something without falling off a cliff. <laughs> but that that kind of that kind of thing I think I'd go for. So who inspires you? Yeah, uh, I guess. I guess there's lots of, you know, people as collectively have said stories about cars and everyone's got a particular story. Um, about cars um, but I suppose actually the one person in my life other than the person I mentioned my dad was an inspiration family and stuff as well as like other artists and things I think I learned from from a part-time job when I was I guess I was 16 17 at the time working at Halfords I used to build bikes at Halfords that was my part-time job while I was at school building bikes and I used to work with a with a guy who's my supervisor a guy called Andy Clutton who was into bikes Bikes were his thing. He was mad passionate about bikes, anything to do with cycling. Tour de France was like, he'd take time off work to go and sit at home and watch it on Eurosport, that kind of thing. Um, and I think he was one of the first people to sort of really hammer home to me that actually a passion can then turn into a job. And yet, okay, he only works at Halford, some would say, so he's retail, but he's building bikes. But he he genuinely loved anything, but, you know, pedals and wheels on it, and that was it. And I think he was the first person that kind of 
it really demonstrated to me that that there's real value in just loving doing something that you get to do every single day. And I think, yeah, you know, this, so, you know, I'm 39, I'm 40 in a couple of months. So that's, you know, 20 years ago, 20 odd years ago. And I've, you know, I haven't seen him probably for most of those 20 years, but I can still picture and remember him like it was yesterday kind of thing. And there's, there's always people that sort of give you the love for X, Y, and Z. And if it's, if it's to teach you how, teach you what passion is and to teach you that, that yeah. don't, don't even be afraid to take time off work to to do these things because some people get so caught up in their lives going, oh, I want to go to Goodwood, uh, but I've got work on a Sunday. It, like it's it don't yeah. don't balance the two things. Pick one, like if, yeah. yeah, and pick exactly. the thing that's going to make you happy. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, there's always there's always other times to do these other things and all the rest of it. So yeah, I think it's just it's, I think that that kind of attitude to just saying yes to opportunities as well just like going yeah let's embrace it let's let's see where things go and, and if you enjoy something that's good that's good enough enjoying something is more than good enough yeah and Terry, if you, if you said to give any advice to a young artist or a young even a young terry i mean what would that bit of advice be the cliches of like follow your dream and that kind of thing always come into it but i think just just explore and just just trust your intuitions of doing things and, and exploring and, and yeah and never stop being inquisitive and questioning and you know what if and why can't I do that why if I do this and that kind of thing and I suppose essentially that comes down to not being afraid to fail mm. just explore things go ahead you're gonna fail that's absolutely fine just pick yourself back up again and learn from it and and keep on going and you know you might even make the same mistakes again. That's okay. As long as you keep learning from it, just get back up and keep trying. No, brilliant. And the last one being, why why do you have a love for cars? And what would you love most about them? I'm going to repeat myself so many times in this, this thing. It's the stories and it's the nostalgia that people have with them because they are an everyday object. Um, and even if people don't drive, they've been in the car, you know, that kind of thing. And we've all got, some sort of story or memory and, and that kind of thing attached to it. So I think it's, yeah, it's just a mundane everyday object that, you know, most people just get in and drive and go to on their daily business and don't really care too much about what it is. There'll be something about that particular journey or, you know, that particular car or something that happened in that journey that the car was part of that just, yeah, helps, I don't know, helps bring these stories to life. The, the cars are just part of every day that, I don't know. Yeah, I guess they are like a book on wheels almost. They're like a little diary and a little sort of almost like a video, I guess. They're just, a, yeah, they're constantly changing. Yeah, I mean, which keeps them interesting. Yeah, if, if someone walked around your car, you could tell them that that dink was from when you went around a B road and yeah, you accidentally hit a tree or <laughs> like this. Yeah. The, 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 because they, like you say, they're an everyday object, you, you live with them. They're almost like another extension of your yeah. body. So. Yeah, or a part of the family, aren't they? I mean, so many people name their cars and things like that. They have little pet names for their cars and stuff because they are like having a pet or you know another member of the family. They are they are that important and that part of our sort of everyday. Yeah, I mean, well, Terry, thank you, thank you for your time. Thank you for being on. It's it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you and to get to know your story. And yeah, I hope I hope people get to know a bit more about you. And and when can people find yourself? 
Yeah, well, thank you very much. It's been it's been great. Um, yeah, so I'm on social media platforms on Twitter and and, uh, and Instagram. Uh, just yeah, Illustrator underscore Maker on Instagram and Illustrator Make without the R on the end on the Twitter because I run out of characters. Um, but yeah, um, and hopefully people will get to see me at sort of live shows and live events and things as well because that's yeah, it's much easier to just carry on doing what I'm doing and have a chat whilst sitting there drawing and stuff, and you can get to sort of see the actual process happen and ask questions and you know come and have a go on the ipad and see work appear on the screen and see what happens come and have a go and have a chat if you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes please share them with at least three people you know who are in the car trade love cars or just find them interesting if we can get one more person to listen then that's one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars terry is an understated man When first meeting him, I could see it would create a chance to probe inside the man. With a talent, I only wish I had the patience and discipline to continue practicing. As I mentioned, I tried to plan my life. From a young age, I was told I needed one and it would be the best thing for me. But the more I speak to people and the more I learn, the more I understand their journeys, I realise the only plan there is, is, is to have no plan. To take life as it comes and go from day to day and just try to make the most of it. Like Terry, he adapted to the situation, with his art being shared, and that made a business. And now with the demand being less, he's taking life as it comes, and changing the narrative so it suits him. This may seem like an over-analysis of a conversation, but I ask you to go back to times when your life had changed, and you thought of doing something with the opportunity but didn't. Do you regret that? Do you regret not acting on it? Or was your decision the right one? So, with that being said, my name is Harry. And this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. Gaming, like most hobbies, can develop into your own career if you're willing to put the effort in. When I first found out about car racing and racing games, I was obsessed with online websites and games like Gran Turismo 3. I had so much fun learning racing lines and taking the perfect time to perfect each race. Nowadays, people are competing worldwide in head-to-head sim racing events. And that's where this month's sponsor, E-Team Hard, comes in. With the help of Lee and his team, we are giving away a Sim Racer starter pack, including merch to wear whilst gaming so you can look the part, with a 3D wrap t-shirt and Sim socks, along with stickers to make your rig look the part. I can't believe I'm saying this, but you will be able to hear the sequential transmission with a headset from me to music. The giveaway starts November 7th and will run until the 30th of November, with the winner being announced on Friday the 2nd. So, just in time for Christmas to give yourself or your favourite sim racer their very own present. Full terms and conditions will be on the website. And to enter, follow E-Team Hard and us on Instagram. Comment and win on our post and share it on your story. I look forward to seeing the winner and rocking the new merch and those headphones. I'm sure it will help you with your apexes. Good luck.